question is, who are you? I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. Well, I know who you are. Shh, come here. It's a secret. Uh, enough already. What is that supposed to mean, anyway? It means you're a baboon. And I'm not. <laughs> I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait! You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. You might need to turn that down before I start. <laughs> um, you know, over the summer, the beginning of the summer holidays, uh, I took uh, Lucas and Alyssa to go and see the new Lion King film. I don't know how many of you have actually seen it. You know, it was really beautifully done, um, but I have to admit, I totally prefer um, the original. Um, and in particular, this scene, um, they, they really change it in the new one and they make it a lot shorter. They don't really make a big deal about it. And, and for me, that was, I, I love this scene because there's so much in this scene um, about a father-son relationship, 
about our identity as a child and there's loads in there that you can unpack but they do do one thing that really stood out to me so you know when it's like all dark and you got the whole kind of you know you don't take your phone out in the in the cinema but this one line came up and I was like I need to write that down because I'll forget it I need to put it somewhere where I don't forget so I'm like trying to do it as my phone lights up without people seeing me and the question that is posed is I know exactly who I am the question is who are you I know all some of this is something that God has been really kind of just unpacking a little bit for me I've been taking it back to him um, and it's something I've been really grappling with and I really believe that this is something that God is saying to us right here right now and he's saying to us I know exactly who I am but the question is who are you you know if someone was to say to us you know who are you or we introduce ourselves to someone our natural tendency as an individual is to give our name uh, our kind of backstory about our career about our life um, for quite a lot of us here how we've ended up in Manchester um, where we're from originally you know we go into our history a little bit but let's just have a little look at this tiny phrase a little bit more um, and, and really try and understand what God is saying to us. So the word are is the third person plural of be. Okay. Um, so let's rephrase who are you to who be you. Who be you. And if you look up the definition of be, it says to exist, to live one of the most questions posed of all time is to be or not to be, you know, by uh, William Shakespeare. That is the question. To exist or not to exist. That is the question. Now, I don't believe that that's what God is saying to us this morning. He's not here saying, do you exist or do you not exist? Evidently, we exist because we are here. Okay. We are here right now. But... I do think that God is laying down a challenge to us this morning. I really believe that he is saying to us, um, you know, to exist means to have life. So I guess the subtext of this question is, are we existing in that sense of same old, same old monotony of day in, day out routine? Or do we live do we live? And in the words of J.M. Barry, I'm quite impressed. I've got two literary quotes in a, in a, in a preach. J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, if you didn't know, to live is the greatest adventure. What an amazing quote. To live is the greatest adventure. Do we exist or do we live? God is asking you right here, right now, who are you what makes you live not exist live what is your adventure what is your passion not things to do or tasks to complete but what excites you about my kingdom who are you and why do you live you know Acts 17 verses 24 to 29 in the message says this 
the God who made the world and everything in it, the master of sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him as if he could take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him. Can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well. We are the God created. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of himself. You know, God doesn't need us to run errands for him. God didn't create us to do jobs for him. He didn't create us to complete a checklist of things. Right, done kids' work this week? Check. Connect this week? Check. <gasps> Check me out. I actually prayed for someone as well. Double points. Check. That's not what God has called us to be. And that's not how he's called us to live. And if we're living under a task list of things that we're doing for God, he's saying to us this morning, stop. Stop right now, because that's not what I want for you. That is not how my kingdom is going to come. That is not how my glory is going to be manifested in this world, in this nation, in this city, in this town, or whatever Withan Shores class does. <laughs> and you know, it sounds a lot like if we're living life like that, it sounds more like I'm being a slave for God. But Galatians 4, 7 tells us that I'm no longer a slave, but God's child. So why is it that we're taking it upon ourselves to act and therefore become slaves to God, to the God who made the world and everything in it, who doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. God can take care of himself. He doesn't need us to take care of him. He created us to worship him. He created us to worship him. And Isaiah 43, 21 in the, in the Passion Translation says, So that you, whom I have shaped and formed for myself, will proclaim my praise. It doesn't say, for you whom I've shaped and formed for myself will work and toil all your days, completing a massive task list that I have created for you. No, he's saying that he wants us to proclaim his, his praise. He created us, he shaped us, he formed us for himself. Not to complete a list of jobs not to complete a list of tasks, not to come up with the, the best, the most effective community project or have the biggest church in Withinshore, but to proclaim his praise. Because it's from this place, 
is from this place of adoration, of absolute worship. This place of us giving ourselves wholeheartedly over to Jesus. It's when we're in this place, when we know our God, our King, the lover of our soul, when we really, truly know him, not give him lip service, not ticking a box saying, yes, I've read my Bible today. I've done my five minutes, 20 minutes, two hours prayer session. But he wants us to come to him with total adoration, to listen to him. He wants us to tell him how awesome he is, to linger in his presence. Though we have such a thirst and a passion and a desire. It's like, I gotta get home. I need to find space because I need just to talk to God. I need to be with him and everything else can wait because it doesn't matter because he is my priority. It's from this place that we will see signs and wonders. It is from this place we will see growth in our own lives, where there's challenges in our lives. This will, it will be from this place that we see God bring his grace. It is from this place that we will see salvation. And I strongly believe this, that if we want to see people added to us as a people, if we want to see salvation, we've got to make sure that our lives are right with God. We have to make sure that we are spiritually ready. We have to make sure that we are finding and seeking him in that quiet place. That we are not filling our lives with stuff. Because it's from this place that we will see salvation. We will see healing. It's from this place where we will see relationships. Real relationships deepen and develop. You know, when Simba looks up after looking at his own reflection, he sees his father and he hears him say, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are. Therefore, you have forgotten me. You know, our identity is found in Jesus, isn't it? To know who we are, to know who he has called us to be, we need to know him. To know him, we need to spend time with him. To spend time with him, we need to stop. We need to slow down. We need to take a breath. You know, before we move on, there may be some of us who need to just take a moment to ask, ask God for forgiveness, and that's absolutely fine. There's no condemnation, is there? You know, there's times in my life where I know that I've forgotten God. You know, I know he's there. I know he's for me. I know that he'll always be there. But he's just there subconsciously. He's just there in the background. I go through the motions. You know, yeah, I'll go to church. I'll go to connect. I'll serve. I'll do this. I'll do that. But if something happens and there's a bit of a challenge and you know what? I'm, I'm okay as a human being. I've got skills in the natural that can take me through things. And I find that I do things in my own strength. And I don't rely on, the, on God. Even if I can do things in my own strength, God doesn't ask us to do them in our own strength. He says to take everything to him. Everything to him. So no matter if we are naturally gifted at something, he still wants us to take that to him because he gave us that natural gifting in the first place. 
you know, and if, if I'm not giving everything to God, it's not me living in the fullness of who God is and what he has for me. It's not me remaining in a life union with him. And if you feel that's, that's where you are this morning, that you're snacking on God. It's kind of like I'll have a bit of God in this circumstance. You're, you're okay to, you know, you can have my family life, God. I'll give that to you, but you're not touching work. You can have work, God, that's fine. Yeah, but no, 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 you're not touching family. Um, I'm, I'm having control of that. I'm not, I'm not giving up control or lordship on that area. He wants all of us, all of the time. <laughs> so if you feel like you're picking and choosing when to involve him in your life, not handing everything over to him, and you know that this needs to change. Just take a moment, just right now, just to stop, to breathe, to say sorry, and just to ask our beautiful Saviour for forgiveness. And he will. And it will be done. And it will move on. You will change. And you will be better off for it. So let's just take a moment right now. Let's just open our hearts to God and just ask him, God, is there anything? Is there anything that I'm holding on to? Is there anything that I really need to give to you? And it might be that we're not even aware of it, but the Holy Spirit will talk right now and just drop things on our hearts. Last week, James referred um, to the scripture, Luke 10, 38, 42. Um, and I didn't know, I knew that he was going to do it last week, but we were having a conversation prior to him preaching just about what we were going to be sharing. And I didn't realize that the main scripture that James was bringing was going to be this scripture. And part of me was kind of like, oh, no, do I need to change it? Oh, what do I do? da 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 and you know, in, uh, I'm a, for those of you who don't know, I'm an English teacher in secondary school. And one of the things that we have to do is, is teach the kids to be able to identify certain techniques that writers use and for them to actually use those techniques within their own writing. And one of those techniques is repetition. And you ask any probably 8, 9, 10, 11 uh, school year old and they will be able to tell you repetition is there because the writer wants to get a point across. So I didn't get rid of this scripture because God obviously wants to get a point across. Um, and it generally means maybe we haven't listened properly um, the first time, the second time, you know, maybe there'll be a fifth time, hopefully not. Um, but there's a reason why God wants me to bring this scripture again. Um, so let's have a look. So Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a, wom a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for the guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, 
Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? It's totally me. I would totally be that person. You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? And I just want to stop there because I really believe that God is just speaking right now. And he's just bringing a challenge and saying, you're being pulled away from me by so many distractions. Are they really that important? Pull to the left, pull to the right, which is taking you away from me, taking you away from who I am, taking you away from coming into the fullness of things that I have for you. Are they really that important? Verse 42. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing. Mary chose to sit. Mary chose to let the task list just go away. I genuinely don't think, looking at other kind of um, kind of characteristics of Mary that we see in the Bible, I genuinely don't think she's the kind of sister to let her others, you know, her sister do all the work, get on with it, get in a flat, because she would have known Martha. She would have known her sister intimately and would have known that inside of her a rage was building, that she was like, oh my goodness, I know that after this is over, she is going to let rip on me. I know, but she chose to sit at his feet. So no matter what we think the consequences will be, sometimes we need to let things go and sit at his feet. And trust me, this is as much for me as it is you. There are times when I know that I need to let cleaning my house go, and everybody knows me, that's like a massive thing because it makes me twitch having a, <laughs> a messy house. Um, I need to let it go, and I need to sit there might be times when I feel like I need to take my kids to have this amazing fun day and do all this. And actually, no, Rian, you need to sit. The kids will be fine playing outside in the garden or doing whatever it is. But right now I need you to sit undistracted. It is a privilege to sit at Jesus' feet. It is a privilege to sit attentively before him and absorb the revelations that he shares with us. And he longs to do that with us so much. You know, and to absorb something can take time. You know, the past week in school, I've been back in work this week. The first two days we had inset, no kids in. Um, and one of the things we've been looking at in this time is the difference between teaching and teaching something and learning something. Um, and to learn something, okay, is the pupils need to be able to apply the knowledge that I've given them, what research says at least three times in different ways across a length of time. 
If we really want to check how well um, my class has understood something, then I need to leave the testing of a topic for at least a week, move on to something else, and then come back to the old topic and test to see if it's really been absorbed. And research says you need to try and do this, this at least three times. So that means you finish your topic, you move on to your new topic, you do a test a week after. You carry on with the previous topic, uh, maybe four weeks into that, you go back to the old topic, test them again. Might then be, I don't know, a term down the road. You come back and say, right, we're going to try this again. How much have they actually absorbed? Because it's only when it's in our working memory, not our short-term memory, that you know it's been absorbed. And that takes time. It takes time. If we really want to know who God is, who he says we are, then we need to absorb him. And, but that isn't something that can be done quickly. It's not a quick fix. And yes, I understand that we all live busy lives. I understand, guys, you know, you know I you know that. You know that uh, I understand that. But I truly believe that for all of us here this morning, God is saying something needs to change. Something needs to shift. There are things that need to go. Not always. It might be there is just a season that he says, just lay that down for me right now because I want you to focus on me, not that thing, not that relationship, not that me. And if giving up that something for a season is going to allow you to grow and absorb God, then I'd be, yes, God, I'm in. Because I want to be more like him. I want to make an impact. I want to change this place, this city, my school, my neighborhood for him. But I can only do that when I am, I am absorbed by Jesus. And I am not saying that we need to stop doing everything. Because there would be chaos. <laughs> but I am saying, you know... Let's take things back to Jesus. Even ooh, things we do for church. Even the stuff that we do for church. Has God told you to do that? Or are you just doing it? Now obviously, to make life and church, and we're not talking just about Sunday mornings, but to make things happen, sometimes we have to do things that God doesn't particularly say, you will go and serve children's work, okay? I don't think there are very many of us that feel like we have been called to go and help out in the kids' work or, you know what I'm saying here, we have to hold things in tension. But if there are things really eating into your working week or into your life that is taking you away from God, having that real relationship with him, which is paramount, not the stuff that makes us look like we've got a relationship with God, that's where we need to realign. Let's not become distracted by events and things that fill our lives that then jeopardize our relationship with God. We need to take everything to God and faithfully serve him because we want our lives to reflect his glory, don't we? We don't want to be burnt out. We don't want to be just going through the motions, but we want to be able to declare his praises so that when people look at us and look into our lives really carefully with a magnifying glass, they'll see wholehearted worshippers who know, really know they are God. 
We must make time for Jesus. I know exactly who I am. The question is, who are you? 1 John 2, 3 to 6 says, here's how we can be sure that we know God in the right way. Keep his commandments. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words, but the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God or to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. That sounds really harsh, okay? But it sounds like a big wake-up call. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. If we love God, then we need to keep his commandments. We know this. And where's the best place to start at the beginning? Exodus 20, 20 verse 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words, God-breathed words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay. We know, we know this. We know it. And sometimes we can immediately dismiss it. Oh yeah, whatever. Yep, good old Old Testament. But that was before Jesus came, so it mm, doesn't really count. Uh, yes, it does. I don't serve any other gods, but, you know, let's really take stock of this this morning. Because if we want to know God, really know him, to find out who he really is, so that we can find out who he calls us to be, we need to look carefully at what he says. And his word, the whole of his word, Old Testament and New Testament, speaks life. And he instructs us how to live in order that we know him better, in order that as we know him better, we glorify him. Therefore, people look into our lives and they see Jesus. And that's why we're here. So is there anything in our lives that comes before God? Can we honestly, hand on heart, say, you know what? Jesus, you are Lord over everything. I've got a few. They are extreme scenarios, okay? <laughs> um, um, but there may be elements here that ring true with us. And if there's something in there when I'm speaking, you kind of feel a little bit, oh, yeah, okay, that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. It's probably the Holy Spirit giving you a nudge. And if that's the case, we need to take time to explore why the Holy Spirit is giving us a nudge in that area. So do our careers come before him? So it might be that a job opportunity has come up, our promotion, you look at it and you think, oh, made for me, awesome, go in for it. Apply, get it, you travel away more, less time to spend with family and friends, can never make connect, usually too tired to make it to Sunday meetings, really picking up our Bible, talking to God, but I got more money, more financial security, more respect and recognition from your boss. Do our careers come before him? Do we take everything to him? If something does come up as a job opportunity, and we might very well think, that's mine, that's for me, that's been created for me, 
Or you might be in a scenario where your line manager says, we're going to create this job for you. And you're kind of like, oh, great. I don't even have to go to, do you take it to God? Do you ask him for guidance? Do you ask him for wisdom? Because if it was me, I'd be a bit like, oh, oh, (laughs) this is a bit too good to be true. I'll take this. Does our family come before him? And this is a hard one. It's a hard one. Because we want to do the best for our kids. We want to give them the best. We want to be the best parent for them. But at what cost? At what cost? Oh, we rushed off our feet taking our kids here and there. I can't come on a Wednesday night to connect. I can't come to this. I can't come to that because they need to be here. No, I can't. I'm not going to be able to meet up with you to have that conversation or have that coffee to develop our relationship, to really talk through some issues that are going on. I can't because I've got to be there for my kids. Or are we with the right heart trying so hard to reach out to our friends, our communities, neighborhoods, that our lives are so packed, so full, that we actually have no time to just stop, to breathe, to know who Jesus is, to know who he says we are. And in fact, we're running on empty. I know exactly who I am, says God. The question is, who are you? Who are you? And our response to this question should be, I am who you say I am. But it is our responsibility to know who God says we are. It is our responsibility to find that space to stop and listen to sit at his feet undistracted and to really get to know him, to absorb him, to hear him tell us over and over again who we are. What makes you live? What is your adventure? What is your passion? Not things to do or tasks to complete, but what excites you about his kingdom? Who are you and why do you live for Jesus? I'm just going to, James is just going to hand out some, some cards. And it just says on the cards, I am who you say I am. And what I want us to do on these cards, I want us to write down, who does God say you are? Who does he say you are? Not, I am who you say I do. I don't want, God has called me to do this. I want, God has called me to be this. So it might be that you have to think, really think about some old prophetic words, old encouragements, and remind ourselves of those. And then what we're going to do is we're going to think about if there's anything that we need to change. Do we need to give something up? Do we need to lay something down in order to ensure we know who he says that we are?